and welcome to episode one of series four of Sherry Jam. We're back. We're finally back after a long, long summer away. Um, much needed, I have to be honest, because we were all knackered and uh, and exhausted from the previous season. Um, and we've come back all exhausted and knackered from our exploits over the summer. So uh, I'm joined uh, for this recording with by Russ Brooks, Jim Harley and myself, Ed Price. Uh, Lawrence has moved recently and um, is apparently decorating. And Snowy is coming back from Snowdonia after doing some stupid run or cycle or swim or all three. I don't know. Um, but we're going to start this week um, and this this series and this season um, with a, a brief chat about Ed Slater, um, who uh, at well, the end of last season, wasn't it really just after the end of last season, uh, it was announced that he'd been diagnosed with motor neuron disease, um, immediately retiring from rugby and um, obviously rugby at this point is the least of our worries it's about ed and his well-being and um his immediate future uh there was a, an amazing initial reaction um and that's continued really i suppose first of all there was the ride that the guys did um uh, from gloucester to leicester down to twickenham and then back to gloucester um and if anyone was there to see them return um in the evening of their i think it was a wednesday evening um it was an emotional moment and you could see that uh the likes of fraser balmain etc were i think suffering it's it's suffering in ways they probably have never suffered before um so i think the first thing to do really is just to sort of just chat about ed as a player because you know we all we all i think one of the first reactions was we're gutted for him because he's a really good rugby player and he'd been excellent for gloucester um you know, I don't think there's more to say really other than that, but I'll let you guys elaborate and, and talk around that. Yeah, I think when he came to the club, we all thought um, we got the we got a good deal. Um, you know, losing Johnny May, but gaining uh, gaining Ed at the time, we're like, oh, you know, that losing Johnny is a massive loss. Uh, and then we we soon realised that actually no, that was a big loss for Leicester because he was he's an incredibly solid club man and he's done really really good things for Gloucester uh, just as he did for for Leicester and um and as luck would have it we get Johnny back anyway so it was all yeah. good <laughs> yeah and I think it was when we signed him I think we signed him and he either had been the previous season or maybe the year before he'd been the club captain at Leicester um he certainly had been club captain at, um at least in the in the one of the sort of previous years at Leicester um which yeah, is, I think he's he's a real club man, isn't he? I mean, mm-hmm. I know we're going to talk about uh, about Billy Billy Twelve Trees later, but you know, in similar kind of in, in similar fashion, really, a really really good player to have in your squad. Mm. Yeah, he, he's the sort of player I think <laughs> you don't realise how much he offers till he's not in the side. Yeah, um, it was no sport how much we missed him up front a few seasons when he had that long spell out, wasn't it? Probably mm-hmm. less so last year, because he was out, obviously, now we know why, for a long spell towards the end of the, the season. But like he was always, we always looked better as a side when he was in it. But sometimes you didn't necessarily realise, you know, he did a lot of stuff that goes unseen and isn't really headlined. But, you know... I think it was always the leadership he provided and you can see what he means to the lads, can't you? Like with how much yeah. they've all rallied around him, what a leader of men he is. Um, 
yeah i mean it's just horrible isn't it it shouldn't it shouldn't make a difference but it always seems to be that stuff like this affects the genuine nice guys and if, if anyone hasn't listened to it i'd really recommend his interview with jim hamilton yeah. on jim's podcast it's a really it's a hard listen at times it's raw, I think. It? It's raw it's, at times it's very yeah. raw but he's he approaches it with a very strong sense of humor very strong sense of determination is very commendable i don't think i could carry myself in the way he does dealing with what he's dealing with and it's clear that he's got more pla- more planned more in him that he wants to achieve so yeah i, I really recommend that just to get a bit more insight to him I, I came away with it respecting him a hell of a lot more than i already did and i didn't think that was possible really yeah, I think the the one thing that it's it's difficult, and we we were we kind of toyed with doing a podcast when it was announced, but and I, I'm still kind of, a, of of the opinion it's still fairly raw, I think, and it it maybe it just hits a bit harder because let's be honest, he's younger than all of us, um, and it shouldn't really happen, should it? I mean, you know, there's, there's people get diagnosed with horrible illnesses and things happen to young people all the time, but. When you when you've got a guy who is as fit and healthy, outwardly looking, as he is and he was and he is sorry, still, um, it's quite difficult to get your head around what this means for him because you know what's going to happen and I think that's that's probably the hardest thing, isn't it? That when you when you compared to say other things that can be you can get diagnosed with whether cancer or whatever, there can sometimes be other outcomes. There is there is a potential and a hope that something could come along and you can come, I, come out of the way of it. But this is so devastating. Um, and it's difficult for people to sort of, I suppose it's just difficult for people to get their heads around really, isn't it? I think it's a mixture of that as well. Ed. Like any long-term illness is well, serious medical conditions, horrible, but you could be diagnosed with something like cancer and you could kind of keep it under the radar and out of the public eye if you wanted Mm. there's there's no hiding what's happening to you with mnd is there i mean we've all seen what happened to a player like Jus van der vesthazen i mean you know had a deterioration is there to see you can't there's no hiding place from it is there you just you know you're watching someone deteriorate before you're your very eyes and it's horrible and it's hard and I think it just it makes you very aware of your own mortality um I mean I think Ed I felt I found it very hard having recently become a dad because that makes it you know you can put yourself in the shoes of what he's going through what his kids are going to go through it's you know it's a fucking horrible situation and there really wasn't any way that he could have kept that private and you know and hot because people would know you know and i think that's what makes it harder is you're literally watching it happen and it must be hard and it's also the fact that you don't know how long you've got or what how it's good because we've seen all that with people like doddy and so it's just a horrible situation isn't it and it just yeah and i think the fact that it's just someone from a club someone we've watched week in week out just makes it that much harder as hard as it has been to see the likes of doddy weir who i really looked up to as a player as well it's just a horrible condition isn't it and the fact that there's no cure or mm. any and then and, and um, ed touched on it the fact that any of the treatments they're very limited in their effects or what they can do it's mm. you know it's just a horrible condition all around really yeah exactly and and i think what what i mean just changing it to slightly more positive 
things because uh, we don't want to be kind of deep and too too mournful and maudlin about it. But the one thing I think you may already touched on it, Jim and and the rest is that the way the club has rallied round and the community. Let's be honest, you know, it's not just a club. The club is the heart of the community, um, and the way that the city and the club and the fans have all rallied round so quickly and so fully, really, um, is incredible and. What I think is is shown is not just the club and and Gloucester and it, it, you can tell across the rugby community as well how much that um, the respect for Ed um, and his career and what he is as a man and as a leader um, I think shines through. Um, I mean, Jim, you, you kind of touched on something as well, which and about the um, how good he how good Ed has been for us. But one of the things that um, even throughout, you know, you think about even last year, we were talking continually about, oh, it'd be when Ed Slater gets back, when Ed Slater gets back, you know, mm. we do, we do miss him, and we, and I think he's going to be a um, a big loss from a from a, a playing point of view. But what is good to know and good to hear is that the club have basically said the doors open, you come in whenever you want to come in. Um, you know, you. Yeah, I, th- I think that that's really important because, um, you know, just going from from yesterday's uh, testimonial game for Billy. You know, he came on and was kicking goals. Mm. Um, I think he was hoping to be involved on the pitch a little bit more, um, but he's kind of quite honest and open and saying um, his leg doesn't work a lot of the time. And that was one of those days where his leg wasn't working properly. Mm. So he wasn't in a position to, to even run around the pitch. Um, so, yeah, I think that's that's really important for his mental health that actually he can he can still go to work um, yeah, because you know he may not be a um, a professional rugby player anymore, but he still has a profession in that he, you know, he's got a lot to give still to the club. And if he's around the club, if he's around the players, um, motivating, you know, just you know, maybe like I don't don't know whether how much Jake was around for the last two years, but you know, mm. a player that's in rehabilitation um, has still got a lot to offer. And, yeah. and I think he's he's hopefully going to be in and around the club um, for a long time, um, helping, motivating, encouraging, and and doing all the things that he, he was doing previously, um, as well as playing. So so that that'll be that'll be good to see because I, I think yeah. um, there's, there's a lot he's still got to offer. I think it speaks of the club's collective as well, doesn't it? That how much those lads rallied round. I mean. If you were talking about people who are going to do a week-long endurance bike ride, you wouldn't put Fraser Balmain down at the top of the list of people to stick his hand up, would you? Um, I don't. I don't think Fraser Balmain would be anywhere near the shortlist if you were to did, do one next. That's for sure. If you go into that podcast, though, he apparently was the one going. Well, it's not far enough. Let's let's add some miles to it. Apparently, he wanted to round it up, and they said he was deadly serious, and it was Jim Hamilton who wanted to kill him. Um, but. You know, it, it speaks of how close-knit that group is, I think. You know, in the wet past, I think I, I was one who said, well, it felt a bit forced at times. You can't force what they did there at all. Like, people like Lewis Ludlow's club captain, he doesn't have to 
you know, a couple of weeks out of pre-season. He doesn't have to take time out to go and do a long bike ride like that. He's had three yeah. operations this that, You know, it, it, he's done that because he's wanted to do it. And it speaks very highly of him. And, you know, it's that collective is so strong. And I think you're right, Jim. You really hope that Ed stays around because, A, it'll be important for his mental health, I think. You know, he's going to find it hard losing that that side of his life, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah. B, I mean, if you just get deleted from the women WhatsApp group and things like that, it's like that's a big yeah. It's game it's, over. You know, we've heard like internationals that have fallen out of the England team, and that's it. Bang, you get cut. No more, no, no yeah, more banter with that I, lot. And that's that's quite a harsh. And I think he can just offer the lads a lot, can he? Just as, as a mentor, being there, done that. And it, 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 if anything that's going to help him, just prolong and sustain. You know, I, I don't want to speak at turn because I don't know anything about the condition, but anything that helps him just stay involved is has got to be good for him yeah. and the club, really. Yeah, and he, he he mentioned as well, you know, the um the the crowd that were there to welcome him back to King's Home. And and he was kind of quite well, that's pretty standard, you know, that's that's Gloucester fans for you. Yeah. Um and actually it's not, you know, there, there could have been there could have been a lot of people um you know, even Gloucester players that, you know, had had a similar situation. And I don't think they'd have got that big a crowd because everyone knows what a top bloke he is. Um, and, you know, th- th- they wanted to they wanted to go out and be there to, to support, encourage um, and get behind him. As you yeah. can see at King's Home over the weekend, you know, there are a lot of Slater 4 shirts Currently being more and and I think also we need to talk about Ed's alluded to it just a wider community and the response as well. Like Cardiff donated a signed shirt after the game to for all the proceeds to go to the for Ed um, fundraisers. I, I you know there's been a lot of just great stuff to see in in the community of that rallying around and you know. People like Tom Dunn and his haircut, I think that was going to it as well. Or yeah. like, well, MND in general, you know, it's just really good to see all of that. So. Yeah, I think every club, <laughs> every club's done something in terms of they've put, uh, at least if nothing else, they've retweeted uh, stuff and, and said, look, please donate, you know. And, and, and I, you know, I suppose it's a, I suppose people might argue it's a minimum they could do, but I, there is definite, I've seen, if you look on the Just Giving page for Ed Slater, uh, particularly when it initially was announced, there were people from all, all clubs were donating to that. Um, and it didn't matter if there were a, 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 a club in Ireland or a club in Scotland or, you know, around the world. It was incredible. Um, the, rug, the rugby community is a very tight one, I think, still. And, yeah. and the, the deeper we go into professionalism, it keeps being mentioned about how these sorts of, um, you know, these sorts of ways of life are going to change. And, oh, no, you know, players won't be like that. And, Fans won't be like that, and we're we're hanging on to it. And I think th- things like this prove that um, we are a little bit different to some other sports, which is wonderful. Um, I think what we'll do is we'll leave it there for regarding Slater because what we have got, I, I kind of mentioned on Twitter that we will do something at some point during the year. Um, it's a case of trying to work out what's the best, and um, any suggestion on stupid cycles can sod off from my point of view but um <laughs> i think we should get lawrence to do the milk challenge yes i agree what, and then that. fail it and shave his head yeah <laughs> i'm sure he can shave his beard off um shave all of his body hair off 
or if Ooh. he yeah, if he doesn't do it, he'll be forever known on this podcast as Chewy. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I'm worried now that what's the old no? Because this is a thing we go down that rabbit hole, Russ, and we could have all sorts of problems. Um, how much? How much milk? How much milk is it they're supposed to drink? Isn't it two? Is it a gallon? What's quite a lot of milk. Um, it's quite a lot of milk. I know it's a lot of milk. It's a lot of milk. Didn't I'd, like yeah. give, I'd like to give it a go. There's a tweet doing the rounds that because uh, Jamal Fall Robinson got one of the officials to do it before the test. I think they did a game. pint. I think it was a pint. Yeah, of milk. Were, I think it was bad enough. But yeah. If, yeah. if you looked at the bottle of milk they were pouring all these milk challenges out of, it was just a standard four pointer. So they can't have done that. And they did no. quite a few, so they weren't big cups. No, I don't. I think they were. I think I don't think they were the full milk. There was a full milk challenge. No. Um, anyway, we we will come back to it and we will we will reference our suggested charitable daftness at some point um but we're, we're, we've got to have a proper think about what we're going to do because we, also we've got to all do it and snowy being up in lancashire just cause a bit of a uh, a bit of a problem from that point of view but we will sort something at some point um right right moving on we're going to talk about uh pre-season losses pre-season quickly um so we played munster uh last weekend uh we played cardiff this weekend plus um a game against Hartbury for united so the wider squad um i uh, i managed to even though being uh, across the pond did manage to catch the monster game and was thoroughly impressed by our performance um uh, jim russ did you catch any of that monster game at all i saw the highlights i had it all set up to watch and then my son decided he wasn't sleeping that night so oh, i was limited to highlights yeah. which looked fairly decent from what mm. i saw no i was i was really impressed actually um with uh, irish examiner wasn't it the um mm. The paper that did the um, sort of broadcast on on YouTube. Um, I watched about ten minutes of it, ten minutes live, um, but I was at work, so I actually had work to do. Um, so then later on in the evening, I watched the rest of the game um, as if it was live without knowing the score. And brilliant first half, wasn't it? I mean, mm. God, we had like four hundred chances, should have been a hundred nil up, and then uh, yeah, the se- second half. Munster played a lot better and Gloucester maybe took their foot off the gas a little bit. But all in all, given the quality of the opposition, um, I thought it was a, a really good, really good performance and a really good result. Yeah, I, I think one thing we'd always caveat on both the Munster game and the Cardiff game is I, um, I don't think it was their strongest. Let's be honest, it wasn't their strongest 15s. Um, but you can only beat what's in front of you. And Gloucester made a lot of changes in the second half. I know Munster came back into it, um, but Gloucester really were in control for the for the the whole eighty. I think it was about a five minute period where I thought Munster Munster looked like they might come back into it, um, but Gloucester scored that try. I think it was better. Um, Jack Reeves didn't he scored that try in the last ten minutes? That settled it, um, and it was um, it was a thoroughly convincing win. Um, you know. Any preseason win is a nice win. It was a good run out for them. I thought what I did think though was that the the backs definitely looked a bit more sharp in the Munster game compared to the Cardiff game. Um, not that they did have to do a huge amount in the Cardiff game. I mean, l- let's be honest, the game it was what we saw four tries before half time. All of them were rolling malls or from rolling malls. Um, we didn't really need to do a huge amount with the ball in hand. No, we tried a few things. There was into a couple of moves that nearly worked. Um, I was surprised. Well, 
There's a lot of people saying, oh, why, why are we doing another driving mall? Why don't we try something else? And I'm like, well, actually, do we not just want to practice what we're going to do for the yeah. season? And, and actually, <laughs> let's get let's get the things that are good, really, really good. Mm. And then, and, but I think what we did do is as soon as our mall stopped or the momentum was lost, then we didn't, we, we'd try and splinter off and, you know, go with some other forwards or the ball came out very, very quickly. There was, um, so that was probably an improvement potentially on, on parts of last year where the, the, mall, gonna, the, the mall would come to an end and then you'd have 20 seconds, 30 seconds of, the defence realigning and then you try and throw it off the throw it to the back line and they get nowhere anyway. Mm. But I also think you don't want to show your hand too much in pre-season anyway, do you? So why you know if you've got all these backs, you know, it's not to say there aren't more coming from the backs, but what why are you going to show off some of your more elaborate backs moves? Yeah, we'll see that on Sunday friendly, against yeah. Wasps, don't we? Yeah, exactly. You know hopefully everyone knows, assuming Wasps have a side, um everyone knows our mall's good. You don't really need to hide that, do you? So, you know, like Ed said, if you're winning, you, you, you're not going to do that in the Premiership, are we? We're not going to go, well, we've scored six tries. Let's let's mix up the game a little bit. You, you go for the jugular, so. Yeah, I, and I think, Jim, your, your point about, I saw that, those same comments. Why I was a bit, someone said I was disappointed we were relying so much on the rolling mall. Well, in a game, you're going to get probably about 10 opportunities to stick it in the corner. Well, the way Gloucester play, we stick it in the corner and we'll go for the rolling mall. So you practice that and you try and work on various opportunities and you go through your different your different uh, rolling wall uh, yeah. plays. All the different, all the different line-out moves. Yeah, against, exactly. Against, a, you know, a good professional opposition that yeah. are going to try and disrupt it. I, I mean, let's be honest, how many... One of the criticisms you could have about key times last year was we went for a cor- the corner and the, it wasn't the mall that failed, it was the line-out to set up the mall yep. that failed. So why would you not keep going for the corner and practising getting that bit of the game right? Because it was a bit of a weakness at times last year. It got a lot better, but it's still, you know, it's not a give-me that you're going to even make catch the ball in the corner, is it? Or the look kick to the no, corner? No, absolutely not. And it's, you know, making those decisions right. Okay, we we struggled a little bit with the last line-out. It's going to make the mall harder, but do we just go for a front ball? Mm. You know, and similarly, actually, um, there were a couple of opportunities for more defence um, as well, weren't there? And you know, I think we conceded the one. Try conceded one there. try from a mall um, towards the end of the game, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. But, so, and we normally, yeah. you know, last season we were pretty good in our mall defence. Mm. So as well, that's something that you know we we as a team want, especially in pre-season, teams to be kicking it in the corner to give us that. Um, that defence practice. I thought the defence actually was really good on on, on oh, Saturday, on Friday that, night. That one, that one period. Really, uh, just after we scored our first try, wasn't it? Yeah, it's good five ten minutes of just continuous defence on our line for most of it. Um, and, and I thought the way that we were patient. That was the thing. We were we were patient. We trusted that the, you could clearly see they were trusting in the system and the process. Um, and, and actually, from you know, we talked about that during the game. I felt that. Because we kept dropping the ball so much in our backs, and Cardiff scrum was actually fairly dominant, um, we did very well with the lack of ball we actually had. Um, yes, of course, it'd be lovely to see some free-flowing moves and tries in the corner, left, right, and centre. But that's not how games will work. You take your opportunities that are in, put in front of you, and the defence I thought was excellent. Um, you could see some of the stuff they were trying to do in terms of there was a lot of inside ball. 
um, they were really clearly trying to use uh, the likes of Morgan and Ackerman and second half to Asui when he came on to punch holes and then to go through. It's just, as I said, we kept dropping the ball, which didn't help. Um, and um, yeah, I, I thought uh, Jack Reeves looked very exciting. That looked a good, another interesting addition to the to the side. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how he goes, particularly when you think that Reese Summit may uh, are going to be away. Carreras are going to be away for long periods throughout the season because of the international duties. It's good to have another winger there who's going to step up and um, be, be and available. And he's quick. He is quick. Yeah, he is quick. Um, powerful as well for such a, you know, he's quite a small stature. He's not a big guy, um, or comparatively to some of the other wings you see on the bar. But he, he he looks quite stocky and powerful as well. So, mm. um, yeah, it was interesting. Um, I didn't see all of the Hartbury game. I only came in the last 20 minutes um, due to no buses running, apparently, in most of Gloucester on, on Friday night. Um, uh, I'll take your views on how Paledri did uh, on his return. Obviously, we missed. That was another element of things. Obviously, Jake Paledri now re-signed at least for, I think, a year. Um, your thoughts on him and the the, the heart the, the heartbreak card uh, heartbreak lost the United game. It was a bit one sided towards the end in a very bad way, but it was it was pretty one sided for the duration of the game. To be honest, Harbury mm. looked like a real proper team. Um, I don't know their squad well enough to know quite how close to a first fifteen that was for them. I should imagine it was somewhere close, mm. uh, and it looked like it. It, it they were. Um, very well drilled. I don't know how many games they've had previous. I know they start their season uh, next week, as do we. So yeah. um, one would imagine they've played one or two games um, previous to to this weekend. Um, yeah, I thought I thought they looked they looked pretty sharp, um, mm. and maybe some of our guys weren't quite so sharp, which kind of made them look better. But uh, but yeah, they they were. Solid in defence. Uh, they had some really good passing. They passed the ball through the hands very, very well. Mm. Um, it, it got from, you know, it got from a ruck or a scrum out out to the wings um, very efficiently, um, which was impressive. And uh, talking about um, Pelledri, you know, he got, I think probably just the one of his kind of trademark strong handoff. Get rid of you. I'll go walk through this tackle. Um, probably an eight, eight to ten meter carry before we got brought to ground. Um, but he looked, he looked hungry. He definitely wasn't shying away from any of the contact. There was one tackle underneath the posts, um, probably about ten, um, eight, ten meters from the from the try line, and he got two, maybe even three man tackled. Um, you know, one high, one low, and it was one of those ooh twisty twisty kind of mm. round round the knee area and and he went down and got straight back up and carried on and and um i did see him yesterday actually him and freddie clark as they were walking to the ground and i was toying, toying with the idea of asking but i'm not one to bother the players when i see him to be fair um and i think yeah i think the way the game went for him is probably about as good as it could have, could have done in that he made plenty of tackles. He had plenty of runs in contact. He had a, potentially a, a nasty tackle on him and he came through it all. So mentally, I would hope that he's, um, he's feeling confident. 
Yeah, I, I believe as well um, from what he said yesterday at the game that um, he's come through. There's no reaction to the to to because that's always the concern. When James Forrester came back, he was able to play games, but he couldn't basically walk for a week afterwards, and that's why yeah. he had to stop. Um, he said he felt like he'd been hit by a bus, but then you would do. Yes, because yeah. he probably had been hit by a bus because rugby players are stupidly big people. Um, and, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, well, that was really good. To, I, I mean, I, I think I agree with you entirely. It, it looked like Hartbury are a team who have obviously trained together all pre-season. They're working just as they as we are about to become, about to start their season. And that Gloucester United team was a group of players who probably haven't trained much together all season. And... You've got a lot of young players. There in are a lot, team. Of, a lot of young academy lads, yeah. sort of nineteen or so, in there um, that haven't. I don't think they've played. Maybe played for United once before. Um, United as a as a team haven't really done anything for a couple of years. Have no, they? I think it's about two years since the last game. Um, um, yeah, it'd be great, so. great to see a proper A League and mm. and actually see those fringe players get some proper game time in front of a crowd. Yeah, massive. Yeah. Um, right, we're gonna we are gonna talk about Gloucester again on this pod. Uh, we're just gonna take a quick break, and then we're gonna talk about the absolute carnage and chaos that is Premiership rugby over the preseason, in particular Worcester and Wasps. <laughs> As I mentioned, we're going to talk about Worcester and Wasps now. Now, some of this we haven't got a clue about. Actually, vast proportions of what we're about to talk about we haven't got a clue about. That's pretty standard for this podcast. Um, I'm going to try as much as I possibly can to, to use the facts that we've got out there about what's happening and then maybe not speculate too much. But one thing we will speculate about, speculate about is how the bloody hell do we change rugby to make it more self-sufficient? Um, this is going to be an ongoing discussion throughout the season because I think there's going to be other things that are going to happen this season um, regarding finances and, and things like that. Starting off with Wasps. Now, I work in finance and I kind of understand, or I hope to understand the bond issue that there was... That was um, basically behind a lot of the chaos that's affecting wasps at this moment. Um, but it seems to be a sort of a two-pronged issue. You've got one, they've got a massive issue in that they've got to somehow finance a bond issue that is offering huge amounts of return when they haven't got the money to do so. In addition to low, uh, they, they, they don't get enough people in through the door high operating costs of their stadium where they haven't had any additional income through normal means, whether that's concerts or other things like that through COVID. And uh, shall we say a rather hostile partner in Coventry City and their supporters and the what happened around Commonwealth Games. So there's a lot of, there's lots and lots of aspects, not even a two-prong, it's a multi-prong cock-up. Um, I, I mean, the debt that Wasps owe is huge. They are a club that are a very historic club. They've won a lot of trophies. They are an important club in the in history of English rugby. But they're playing in a city that doesn't really care for them. They've moved away twice from their, their sort of home. Do we have any sympathy for Wasps as a club at this point? Or is it just a sort of... 
you make your bed, you lie in it, sort of thing. I've got a bit of a, I've got a bit of, I do feel a little bit sorry for them in that their investment in a stadium that was going to be great because it's got a casino and it's got a hotel and it's got conferencing and it's got, um, you know, all the concert um, possibilities. And then COVID meant that none of that could really be operated. Um, So that's incredibly unfortunate and potentially they were so new to it that they uh, they weren't in a position to to maximise their their benefits either through insurance or government or whatever. Um, but, but the fact that they moved to Coventry in the first place and just assumed that all their fans would tr- follow them and they'd make lots of new fans because why would you support Coventry Rugby Club when there's a much better club that's just moved to town? Um, yeah, I, I think that's a bit silly of them. Mm. It felt very American franchise model. We can just move and we'll build a franchise. But American sport works very differently to to rugby. And it's one of the problems I've always had with this argument that you could just make regions in rugby. Like you could merge Gloucester, Bath and Bristol. Rugby fans are pretty tribal, I'd say. You know, in the same, you look at football, it's the same. You know, I wouldn't want to support a team that has Bath players. I'd find it very hard. I'd find it very hard if Gloucester moved to another area. Thankfully, I don't think think that would ever happen. I have some sympathy, like you say, Jim, for the reasons of moving, but also COVID hit all clubs hard. Gloucester, we talked about on this pod how hard it was. Um, You've got to make your model sustainable, haven't you? You can't, you know, you've got to make sure you can pay your bills and be financially viable um i think it's very sad for the game that two clubs at least two clubs are in this mess i also think it's quite depressing how untransparent things are so we don't know the situation the mail of mail on sunday came out with a utterly batshit set of figures and debts this yeah week. there was some very uh, weird uh, figures and it's not yeah. helpful to anyone is it saying I, th- I think everyone that knows anything about those clubs have since so uh, it's absolutely yeah, nonsense it's been, yeah. it's been absolute nonsense but it doesn't help does it it's not gonna you know that story's out there now and it's been published and commented on i saw andy good had shared it people like that it, it, it's out there and it doesn't make it you know, rugby needs to be seen as viable to invest in. And Wasps are one of those teams where they took a punt and it's massively blown up in their face now, hasn't it? Mm. Rugby, you haven't got a lot of wiggle room with rugby, have you? You've got, you know, even Gloucester. We talk about how good our fan base is and so on. It's not yeah, like... They're not incredibly rich, though, are they? They're not incredibly they're rich. They're very passionate, but they, they're, they're very passionate, ridiculously wealthy. We don't sell out every week. It's, do you know what I mean? There is a there is a limit on how how much revenue you can generate from those fans. It's it's not an endless money stream, you know. So you've got to be respectful. You've got to treat your fans well. You've got to make sure they're invested and want to spend their money. If I was a Wasp fan, why would I want to spend it? Like you said, there's other clubs around that area. They moved from London, which was is quite a competitive, like to the Midlands, where there are already other established rugby teams. It's you know, I don't really have much sympathy other than I just don't want to see a club go out of business. And I kind of like the way Wasp play rugby, and they used to be a club that were quite successful and meant a lot mm. in the game. Yeah, I, I think. I mean. 
my feelings on it are I don't want to see any club and I'll come on to the next one the other one in a minute I don't want and I genuinely mean this I don't want to see any club this includes Bath um, go to the wall because as we found throughout the time you know the number of football clubs you, you hear about you know a few years ago were in real financial trouble a lot of these places a lot of these clubs and a lot of these sporting entities are the sort of heart and soul of communities and cities and areas and it's not just a uh you know uh, oh it's not just a bloke you know a bloke with a, a business that's going under here this is something that grand you know fathers grandfathers great grandfathers cousins uncles daughters nieces ne- you know the whole whole family and community have been engaged in you know gloucester is one of the rare places i'd say that actually it's not just a bloke but a bunch of middle class blokes going to watch a rugby every weekend this is families and women and mothers and daughters who get involved as well um and i I don't want to see any club go to the wall i do think the way that wasps have been run in the last couple of years has been pretty dreadful um i think the the, there are a lot of assumptions that they made which again as you rightly say jim covid hit everyone uh, and russ said exactly the same it's hit everyone you can't foresee that um but i think some of the assumptions they made were pretty I, I mean, I, looking at it financially, I just can't, I just don't see where they thought they were going to get this money from. Well, this, this was it six percent they were offering mm, on there, which is a which, lot. I, you know, and every every man and his dog went. Well, that's you know, well, what percent can you get if you invest anywhere? Like one. Yeah, exactly. One and a half. You know, it's a high risk. I don't remember, it's, it's it's a high risk in theory, a high risk uh, investment, and there's no guarantee on any of these returns. There's always you know that's all caveated, but the way it was sold, sorry, the way that it was sold, um, was was fairly strong in the way they were saying that these returns. Oh yeah, we'll we'll definitely get them, and you'll yeah. definitely get them by this date. And but, I think is Russell, the transparency on this stuff has been pretty poor. Um, yeah, pitch, I'm interested I mean, as to who actually invested, um, and by that I mean were there lots of uh, wasp supporters that had a few quid in the bank and went, oh, let's help our club and help ourselves at the same time. And these are the people that are actually, I don't need the money right now, so I'm happy for you to just pay the interest and sort you, sort yourself out and, and mm. I'll have my actual investment back later. Or whether they were people that have got no real affiliation to wasps and they just saw it as being the best deal out there for the, you know, the risk profile and went for it and therefore they are far more likely to go, no, I want my money back. I don't care if you go into administration to do it. Well, the problem with these things are, is that the whole nature of them, they have to be open to any investor. To the nature of them, you want you want everyone and anyone and any Tom, Dick and Harry to come and invest into this sort of stuff. So actually by net, by their own nature, the, you're going to have a, a maybe a core of Wasps fans who probably went, oh, got a bit of cash. I'll, yeah, I'll bung a couple of couple of grand in this or whatever um but equally you're going to have people who are just investors you're going to have maybe institutional investors or companies or businesses that financial institutions that might have put some money into this and that's the problem you've got no control over what happens if they don't if if you haven't got towards the end of this and have got the results and the returns that you promised these investors can turn around and say well now what so you know i i it, the the bigger issue for me is there's 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 
there's a lot of tension between wasps and Coventry City. And I think that is the biggest problem because it's not just what you're doing there is Coventry City, unlike wasps, are the heart and soul of that city. You know, Coventry City Football Club are a massive football club for that region, for that city. That is the heart and soul of the city. And, they and are to their fans. And to their fans, wasps the Rico, are The Rico is theirs. Yeah, yeah. I, I, they, they, I, they honestly think that stadium is theirs. And yeah, and Russ, not. you were there. You went to uni. Yeah, I went Cobb. to uni there, rugby. So it was the old stadium before. Highfield Road. Highfield yeah. Road was right in the centre. It's it's a massive um, club. It's and Coventry Rugby Club is well established. I went to watch Coventry Rugby team. They've got a very hardcore set of supporters. So. I completely understand how Dart City feels about this club just shacking up and going, yeah, we're taking over. We're, we're going to be the big club. Here's all our grand ambitions. This is what we're going to do. And Coventry Football Club's got a very proud history as well. Like you said, Jim, that stadium, as far as they're concerned, is their stadium. I've still mm. got friends in the city. They would tell you that. That, you know, it's... <laughs> It's a mess, isn't it? I it mean, is a mess. I mean, uh, both both teams that we're going to talk about are a mess, but for very different reasons. And I don't yeah. see an easy way out for either of them. Sadly. No, I mean, the one thing I should make a point out about Coventry City as a club, the fans are very, very passionate supporters. I mean, up there with, I, I in terms of the way they feel about their club, they stuck. They've had to go through a lot. Yeah. And if you know, if anyone knows a little bit about Coventry City's history in the last ten. 15 years and their owners and their owners are not good owners. You know, let's, let's put it this way. We're not, we're not comparing a really badly run Wasps club with a really great, well run, you know, ethical Coventry city, Coventry city's owners are appalling. Um, and if you talk to any Coventry city supporter, they will instant. One of the first things they say is CSU out. They hate their owners. Mm. They want, they want shot of them, but they can't get rid of them. Now, it has something about how bad it's got between Wasps, Coventry City and the community up there that actually Coventry City fans are now more supportive of their, of their horrible, horrible owners because those horrible owners are sticking it to Wasps. That's how bad it is in terms of the toxic culture up there. So I think Wasps probably, of the two of the clubs we're going to talk about, are probably less in danger than we originally thought there was a lot of talk a few weeks ago about them going to administration and there being massive problems i think they probably sounds like they probably sorted themselves out in the short term medium to long term we don't know moving on to one that is definitely in all sorts of trouble and i'm not entirely convinced are going to even be able to play the whole season i think jim's alluded to this on twitter about um fixtures with this club worcester are in an absolute mess. I still don't believe, as when we're recording this on a Sunday, I'm not aware that the players or the staff have been paid yet. Unless according I'm... to, I just learned, according to the BBC website, Hereford yeah. and Worcestershire, they've been paid their delayed wages. That was seven hours ago. Okay, so that's today. They've been, been made on Friday after I quote an IT issue. Yeah, an IT issue in we don't have any money. Yeah, the IT yeah. Issue, in, in terms of, yeah, the, the system went to go and draw the money and something went, uh, uh, and mm. yeah. Yeah. But then, um, this, is, this has been an ongoing problem for I, Worcester for the last I, couple of years. Yes. And I would the add, issue is that it's the players have just about been getting paid on time or a bit. Haven't, though, but have they? It's the staff haven't, though, have they? 
the, the dusty edition, all the, it's understood the players have been paid in full. The staff have been paid sixty five percent of their salaries. Right. So, so the reason haven't... why that. So the reason why that is is because if by paying, I mean technically because they were paid late, I think. I'm, I, I don't know specifically the contract. They can still invoke their. They can still invoke their, yeah. the, their clauses and find other clubs. But basically, it's to stop them leaving. Yeah, I I, I get that. But also, that there's there's going to be yeah. players. There's going to be players that are, you know, have got two years left on a contract. And I'll use Van der Merwe as an example because he's the you know the British Lion and the big name. You know, he's worth a lot of money to mm. Worcester, and under normal circumstance, if a team like Racing, who've just got an injured winger, want to spend a load of money on a new one, they could go, ah, do you know what? Actually, we need to save some money. Would you like to buy this winger off us? We've got him in contract, like happens all the time in football and very rarely happens in rugby. And, yeah, you know, Worcester could actually get a few quid off of it. Whereas, mm. clearly, if they don't pay him and he can say, oh, you didn't pay me, so I'm, um, off. I'm issuing you a 14-day yeah. notice then he can leave as a free agent. I mean, it cost. I completely get their reasons behind it, Jim. I'm not, you know. But then these are are players that are on, you know, tens, if not more likely hundreds of thousands. They're not going to struggle short of, a. you know, they are not, someone like Van der Merwe, I mean, there will be players in there who need the dosh. Let's not beat around the bush, but there will be staff there who are going to struggle yeah. because work of the in the ticket office and in the community team. And, and, you know, yeah, the that's, that's my... people that are on minimum wage. And that's what makes me more angry. I'm more angry about the Worcester situation because their owners yep. are absolute... I think it's safe to say, Russ, that the, our thoughts on the Worcester owners, I think, are probably unrecordable. Uh, yeah, so let's just say well, I don't have a lot... you, Ed, that put that little... Uh... That little skit up, wasn't it? With and the, it's uh, very funny. I yeah, would look yeah. it up. My problem, yeah. The problem is, is they have banked a lot on signing some high-profile names by the looks of it, haven't they? We mm-hmm. talked about one of them who I don't have a Jim's mentioned one who I don't have a lot of time for because he's there for the dosh. And you know, I was really pleased that he got a chance to show what he could do in the Premiership Cup last year, so he can mm-hmm. fuck right off. <laughs> Um, but all joking aside, there are you know the way that club is run does not look good at the moment, does it? You know, I have all the sympathy in the world for their fans because they have got quite a good core fan base. Yeah, um, Cecil, bu- like, Cecil built up. Yeah, it's very sad. Really, you know, a really good stadium with a really good kind of community. Uh, you know, all the pitches, the additional pitches, and all that. It was a really good community facility. Those owners came in promising that they were going to do this, that, and the other, and they've done none of it, have they? You know, it's it's not a good run thing. And I think this speaks to me more about the other thing I've seen lately that kind of irritates me is like, oh, well, if only we'd have let Ealing come up. And I think I saw Neil Fizzler put this up. And yeah. his argument for the reason why they were a well-run club is because they pay their bills, which sounds great. But what happens as soon as their owner decides, I've had enough of this, ta-da, they won't be paying those bills. We're not talking about another established club, are we? This would perpetuate this problem. Well, but... you say that, Russ. What if those bills are suddenly five times bigger because they've got to get a much, much better, more yeah. improved squad? Uh, well, let's be honest. You could, even with the energy bills that they've got, 
they've only got two stands, so they only need to operate a certain amount of electric. And it's it's like rugby. This is indicative of what we've all said for. There's not a lot of rugby in money. Is not not a lot of money in rugby. Yeah, this actually works both ways. There's not a lot of rugby in money. <laughs> money and quite. Yeah. You, know, you don't invest in rugby and get a return on your investment easy, do you? You have to do this well. You have to do it right, or you have to be someone who doesn't care about losing the money. And that's someone the problem. like Alfred's got enough money yeah. to throw away. And that's the problem. We're competing with the French who can burn that money, and and it's why even football has financial fair play now doesn't it there's a lot of risk if you get it wrong we're seeing now what happens and that's the danger and that's why you can't have a situation like ealing going forward as well as much as i agree with promotion and relegation there's a real danger of bringing clubs up that aren't ready in that situation i don't agree with all the promotion rules but ealing don't have a, an attendance that means that they can financially compete on their own. And if that right. owner pulls out, we're just putting another club in in danger of having this situation occur. Now, I, I mean, just talking more specifically about Worcester and the issues around that club. Um, again, total sympathy with the supporters. Uh, it is interesting to see uh, Steve Diamond pictured as some sort of heroic messiah type figure when uh, yeah, I, I, I get the thing. He's probably been he's been sold a bit of a story, and has now has to sort of step up to a point. Um, the ironic thing, of course, is it was his dodgy decisions and, and arguments that now led to them owing Gloucester two hundred fifty grand. We'll come on to the administration issue in a second about that as well, because Gloucester are going to be one of the people that would miss out or lose out if the proposed. Uh, pre-packed administration is what's being proposed. So basically, you go into administration, um, certain creditors are certain creditors are paid off, um, and it's all kind of pre-arranged before the administration goes in because the guy comes in, buys it, and away we go. If you want a bit of context for this, how this works, take a look at someone like Portsmouth Football Club. But the important thing to bear in mind on this one is look at how long it took Portsmouth Football Club to actually get an owner or owners that weren't dodgy. And this is the issue for Worcester, which I think is going to, they're in trouble because all of these owners, the proposed owners or people that are looking to come in, if you're talking about wealthy businessmen in the local area, that's great. They probably can cover it for the next year, year and a bit. But at some point, they're going to want to return on their their investment. And the investment, the, the return is going to come from the area then as jim's mentioned these pitches which i think still there's some sort of thing with the council i don't even think the club own all of it or are able to sell off elements of it there's all sorts of dodgy weird and wonderful things going on in terms of companies being registered for certain aspects of the club but the owners the whenever you see a club like this in trouble whether it's football rugby any sport the 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 key to look for is the people making the most noise in terms of I'm going to come in and buy this, they're the ones you've got to worry about. Because if they do buy the club and they're giving all these big noises, we're going to do this, 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 and we're going to save the club, they're probably not much better than the people that have, who, who, who cocked it up in the first place. 
yeah, I think that's a massive point, Ed. As a Leeds fan, I've se- I've, I've supported a club that's made poor decisions in the past, and they they're still paying for it now. You know, they're they've had to rebuild, and I think they work on a much more sensible model. But even now, you get twitchy as Leeds fan when they've sold players, but they're spending a lot of money to try and compete again. And I think it's it's a mixed bag, isn't it? Like the thing that resonates for me is. <laughs> There's a Ryan Reynolds and Rob McAvenny, or however you pronounce his name, who played yeah. Wrexham. That documentary is brilliant. And it's not brilliant because of seeing those two, it's seeing the local fans now yeah. and how much it means to that community. And actually, if you watch that documentary, it's brilliant in that you see how much they've bought into making that community feel valued. They did things like make the volunteer inclusivity disabled. Um, officer they've made her full-time because they said she has an understanding they brought in people who understand the club and they just are from afar and even they are realizing like the costs it was something like they bought a pitch for 100 grand they had to be returfed it ended up costing them 300 grand and they've both said it's a money pit luckily that for them they've got money to burn and rugby is going to be no different is it and that's Mm. i think that's the thing you can't just rely on someone to We've all joked about it. What would we do if someone could come in and just buy the club and how amazing it would be? That's not the answer to rugby going forward, is it? And that's that's sadly what's happened to Worcester is they've bought into someone buying them out, taking over, like you said, Jim, that great les- legacy Cecil's put in place for them. And they're paying for it with this, this massive overstretch and just buying a vision that they could never deliver. The sad thing is, I remember when these guys bought Worcester and there were people on uh, Come On You Warriors fan, uh, website, fan website, and there were there were people, and, and I have to be honest, some of the best financial detectives and some of the best people to look into a company, a club, a person are sports fans. I honestly, I learned more about the rules of around administration, liquidation, et cetera, when, when Portsmouth were going through like their fifth administration in about three years by all the Saints fans trying to work out exactly when they're going to go pop. And it was it, honestly the amount of, of investigative uh, assets you've got in a sporting uh, fan base are incredible. And I remember distinctly there were real concerns about the people that bought Worcester at the time. By made by several um, quite, you know, well-regarded supporters at Worcester, and they were kind of poo-pooed. Oh, you're being too negative. Oh, it's a great change. You know, this. Come on, why would they? Why would they not do this? They they said it and in public and all the rest of it. Well, there are a lot of chances out there, and there's a lot of people in for a quick buck, and and then people who don't necessarily have the best interests of a club and a community at heart. And unfortunately, Worcester have found out that the guys that are currently in, in charge of them don't appear to be people who have their best interests at heart. Um, one thing, we and again, we're going to continue talking about maybe ways of how you can solve the issues in rugby. One thing I did see was there was a great thread about the problems more generically with rugby and sustainability and affordability and keeping costs and uh, down and, and increasing profits. And the fact that a lot of the clubs, almost all the clubs are resistant or reluctant to look at radical change. And the one radical change, which was an option two years ago at the height of COVID um, was around the calendar. And I think Jim 
is someone I know I'm not sure about Russ, but Jim certainly is a pro, I think is a proponent of this for me. Rugby should be a summer sport at the, at the highest professional level. I, I think there's a lot. I can see it both ways. I, you know, I see arguments for both sides. I mean, the one thing with the summer, amateur, it won't work. And I, no, I no, 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 you have to treat that separately. Yeah, 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 yeah. Complete on board. You have to treat that separately. Um, and I, let's not forget what a mess amateur rugby is in at the moment. You yeah. know, they're really struggling. So I don't want to do it. I would, you have to, amateur rugby needs a serious look at to get some bodies behind it. Mm. I think that the difficulty is, is you're competing against other sports just by moving to the summer anyway. You know, it's not like, you know, cricket, a lot of rugby fans are into cricket as well. So you're going up against, you're taking on cricket by doing it. Um, the argue, I think, some of the argument of it's more attractive, expansive rugby in the summer is taken away if you keep developing the new pitches as well. I don't know. I like there's elements of to both. I, I, I you know, part of me as a traditionalist likes rugby in the winter. Let's mm-hmm. be honest, winter shit. What am I going to watch in the winter if there's no rugby to watch in the winter? That said, I think you need a consistent calendar. And I was a proponent of when they wanted to make mm. the, pl- the calendar the same all through this, all for all yeah, nations. A global, yeah. a global rugby calendar, I can fully get behind. Whether yeah. that's summer or not, I'm yet to be convinced of. And, yeah. you know, I, I appreciate that some of that is, I get, I roll my eyes at traditionalists. Some of that is the traditionalist in me of rugby. That's fair. Yeah. Jim, your thoughts? Um, no, I was, I was with you, Ed. I think, if we're going to have a, a global calendar, then Southern Hemisphere stays as a winter game. Northern Hemisphere becomes much more of a summer game um, in the professional um, stance. And I just, like, if, if all clubs lose their internationals at the same time, it's just how, how much sense is that? You know, you kind mm. of, you build your season. You can have a season that starts off with your Premiership Cup or whatever, goes into your league, then goes into your Heineken windows and then builds up with some internationals at the end. And it's kind of a, a gradual build for the players. Um, everyone has their time off because the international players have got more time off at the start of the next season because it's a cup game rather than a league game and all these sort of things. And it just makes it just so much easier yeah. to organise things like World Cups. Everyone turns up to a World Cup and they're at the same point in the season so you don't get you know one team knackered and another team not match fit yeah it's just um i i, I get i entirely COVID, get covid was not ideal opportunity massive opportunity it? It, and world rugby dropped the ball well they, they chickened out didn't they basically um i mean so i i i i totally understand from what's uh, from russ's point of view about the the concerns and i don't think it's it's a sort of old man uh thought theory on it. you know i understand rugby's always been played in the winter but you see when you the one thing i would disagree about in terms of the the sports you're going up against realistically you're going to go up against football for about maybe a month and a bit either end I mean, we go against football. I take football because you go, you you're going you go against, against football, football anyway. already. Rugby anyway, league is but laughable. rugby league is northern. Rugby league's northern, yeah, and, yeah, and there aren't any northern rugby clubs yeah, apart from Sale and Newcastle. Um, cricket, I get your point, but cricket actually, outside of the hundred and the T20, no one watches it really. 
because county games that no one watches county games you get the occasional festival people go and watch it but no one really watches it that the, the opportunity to grow rugby particularly if you make you know you're, you're trying to sell you're trying to sell gloucester versus i don't know gloucester versus newcastle and you're trying to sell it at are uh, in november it's a much harder task trying to sell gloucester versus newcastle in november versus gloucester versus newcastle in june on a friday night with a nice cold pint of cider well you say a friday night and i think gloucester have got an awful lot of friday night games coming we up. do and we do have a lot yeah, of friday I, night I games. Think, and I, they might be asking I, to I, move I, them to a saturday or a sunday because i, I, I would it's, it's bloody expensive those lights hmm. They are. <laughs> I, I mean, it's a weird issue. I would, I'd buy into Saturday fixtures for me now are no good anyway. And I've mm. never bought in Saturday fixtures as being the only time. And I, I know for a lot of people that's important. There's always going to be a balance. I think one of the best games of rugby I've ever seen was Gloucester 8, Bath 6. It's not always about free-flowing, attractive running rugby. You've And, and that's one side of it. I completely appreciate that. I don't want us to be like Super Four, like the Super 15s, the Super Rugby, where you know it's free flowing, but you've lost a lot of what the game is. You know, to me, you know, yeah. you've got to be, you've got to not lose the soul of rugby if you move it to the summer, which sounds cheesy as fuck. But I, you know, we've always argued that rugby is a sport for all people. And I think there's a danger that we lose that. Rugby's coming under attack from a lot of things. I'm not touching the trans argument with a barge pole. I'm not, you know, there's the concussion protocol challenges. There's a lot of things attacking rugby at the moment and it's got a lot to get through. And I think for me, it's not about when rugby's played is the issue of getting spectators through the door. There's other things that need to make rugby more appealing i don't mm-hmm. necessarily have those answers but i don't think it's down to whether rugby's in the winter i think it could be marketed better i think you could do more to get fans through the door a lot of clubs treat um the fans badly communication is not always great you know it's there's a lot of pressure on fans for costs and i think the cost of a rugby ticket is going to be the same whether you go in the winter or the summer and it's that affordability that's a big challenge at the moment. And, you know, for someone like me, I can I can watch rugby on telly a lot easier than I can get into the games at the moment. And that's sad. I love going. Mm-hmm. But with the finances as they are, a new child is, is challenging. And that's going to stay the same whether it's summer or winter. There's a lot going on. And I don't think it's just down to when the games are played, really. Yep, no, really good points. And I say, we, you know, we, we're going to talk about all these things, and it's we'd never say that one. There's one solution to this. There's always going to be a myriad. I think it's just a useful thing we could do each, you know, each week. Think of a new idea. One of the ideas, then we go at the end of the season. We come up with a nice idea, send to the RFU, and they'll just ignore us. Anyway, um, <laughs> um, final bit. We're going to just talk about our sort of theory, thoughts ahead for the season um, for Gloucester. Uh, first of all, do we like the shirts? I do. Important, important. You know, we are obviously known for our sartorial uh, um, uh, uh, abilities. What I um, like, I like them. I really like the new home shirt to the point I bought it straight away. Yep. I wanted to get one for for the boy, but unfortunately, the club didn't have any in his size when I went down to the keys. So I'll be getting him one, but I want to get him a Slater one anyway. Yeah. But that that aside, I actually. 
I find it really funny that there are people who moaned that the shirt wasn't a break against tradition enough. <laughs> it's the most Gloucester thing I've ever heard. Um, the away mm. shirt, I, I know it's not changed much from last year's, but I actually prefer it. I, I kind of like mm. that sort of slight flash. I must admit, and this might be to poke Jim, I think the shirts are really good quality. And um, I, I do wish, like, having seen some shed ones, I do think we should do them in cashmere because the cotton's just not good enough. <laughs> I, that has I, got to be my favourite comment, I, uh, I reckon, in the last year. Was it, was it they wanted it not to be Chinese, Chinese cotton, cotton? It needed to be, to be Indian, Indian cotton. cotton. Yeah. And I know, I, get, I take your point, Jim, that people want quality from it, but for all the reasons we've talked about that clubs are going to cut costs for this. And the, the, the quality for me is fine. I, I am not someone I've lost a lot of weight. I'm never going to wear a player's quality shirt because I'll just look a twat in it. So I'm quite happy with that, that shirt as is. I, I appreciate, you know, in all seriousness, people won't like them. There will never be things that everyone likes, but I, I honestly think they're really good shirts this year. Mm. And I like the I way am, they market is. Um, I am uh, liking the, the home shirt. Mm. Um, I think it is significantly different from from the last few years, um, so it's good. What I'm not so keen on is the lathe weights on the back. It's because it's one larger word as opposed to the previous Olbus Olbus. Um, it it just looks like a name. Like, yeah, it does look like lathe weights plays for us, doesn't it? And I was like, oh, we got lathe weights playing one to fifteen. You know. Nice that and there's not a lot you can do with it and of course we haven't really seen um names on the shirts other than no. the slate of four next um, next and week I'm not, will be interesting but i'm not convinced that that slate of four that we've seen on all the shirts is actually the the font and font size that i don't believe it is i think, it's, I think they, they a, will have had to rush to get that done yeah, i think that's so, so I think a, the shirts yeah. will look a little bit different on sunday um at the wasps game with names mm. and numbers on um, so i'm hoping that will kind of tone down the the lace weights bit but i like it but i'm just i'm just amazed that the away shirt you know looks so similar mm. to last year's and, uh, why and on I, that, was... I am gutted the wife's going well why didn't you say we could get this this cheap shirt for the kids um last season and i'm like well because it's it's old isn't it it'd be old hat and if we'd have got the kids these bloody shirts, no one would have noticed. The I, I think the, the big season. plus point, no, Jim, is that the sponsorship is clearly white this time. You know, it's clearly <laughs> white. So that's a big step up. Yeah, um, it's not. It's you know, not. It's, um, it's not all the cream or, or whatever cream. it was. I think yeah, the one thing cream. I did find weird was there was wasn't there a a contest for the away shirt as well as the home so there was shirt. a poll yeah there was a poll for both so basically you put in your uh i don't know if that was a away shirt i do remember the I'm, home I'm trying shirt. to remember yeah i'm not sure if so i remember you could design away. you could design the home shirt and i think what they then did for the away shirt it was the same pretty they much the same eight. design they but about eight different, different colors yeah it was different there colors was an, there was an orange one there were a few mm. green ones, yeah, green no, ones. a couple of I mean, blue the away shirt is one for me you could go a bit different couldn't you you got nothing to lose by it I mean, the only thing that fills me with horror is we've yet to reveal what the European shirt will be. I mean, and the only positive, I, I want I, I want to caveat this and say it couldn't get any worse. But then I saw the Saracens away shirt, which is one of the worst shirts I've ever seen. So, you know, hopefully the club aren't seeing that as a challenge with I, the European. I, 
Yeah. I think, yeah, I mean, yeah, the European show was dreadful, wasn't it, last season? But the... Um, but I, yeah, I mean the, the the home one. I like the home one. I bought it yeah. pretty much instantly. The away one, uh, I'm I'm and arming about it because it is so similar to the one last year. I I thought we were going to go away from blue only because when you're <laughs> just daft things like you know if you've got an orange one, you'd play you could wear that against any team, and no one is never going to clash. You just, you're going to have your away shirt. You wear that all your away games. Everyone knows exactly what it is. It's not going to clash with anybody else's shirts. The blue one, even though it's a lot lighter than Bath and uh, and Sale, we're still going to have to check. Going to still have to play in red and white. Which, if you're going to having an away shirt, and the idea of the away shirt is you wear that for all your away games, pick a colour that doesn't <laughs> that doesn't clash with uh, one of the other home teams. So anyway, mm. that's that. That's or, by or the by. If you're making a European shirt, don't have it the colours of your European. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, that the, season. Yeah, the problem, I think the problem with that one is that Jim, I think I get the feeling that that's probably all they might have beforehand. to it in advance of the day. Yeah, I, I, I think yeah. I, I'd like us to go full stud front, say, with the European shirts. Yes, agree. I agree. If you're yeah. going to do some, if you're going to do a shirt like that that's not going to get worn that often, go bonkers. Go bonkers. Because mm. let's be honest, you did not build, make that shirt appealing to sell it to loads of the fan base because they must have sold. There in the hundreds, were there were many. No. So fuck it, go all out to please people like. Well, let's be honest. I've bought stud front seat shirts, or people like Ed who would buy them. And I'll be honest, I will buy your away shirt, but because I didn't have last year's. Mm. So yeah, I think that's fair enough. Um, anyway, actual general rugby sort of stuff. Now, I think we all at the end of this last season, we were all very confident and felt that there's definitely a momentum building at Gloucester. Now, obviously, Snowy and Gloss aren't here on this pod, but uh, I know that they kind of feel the same on this, that expectations really for next season, minimum top four, would that be a fair, would that be a fair assumption? Should we say minimum top four? That's the expectation. I mean, I, oh, I think yeah. that is with a club. I think that's I think where they're saying. You've got to, haven't you? You've yeah. got to, because as a club, compared to, I mean, I'm, I'm yet to go through the fine-tooth comb, all the ins and outs of all the other teams. Um, hopefully there'll be something in the papers um, this week as we come up to the first league game but we have we've got two Asui's come in we've lost we've lost a few sort of other than, or, other than Slater everyone yeah, else we Slater's lost a loss, obviously but we are a stronger side than I mean, we were 12 years ago yeah and 12, 12 months ago I was going to say 12 you know, years ago what was that no 12, probably a lot better than that 12 was 2010 I can't remember <laughs> Um, for me, Pledri might as well be a new signing as well this year with how long he's been out and yeah. is a bit of an unknown. I think because of the way they've changed the salary cap and the enforcement of it, I don't think many teams have really strengthened mass- massively. Um, I think you've got to be pushing top four, haven't you? If you're not top, if we're not in the mix, you're going to be disappointed after last are, year because are we, Leicester going to be as strong this season as they were last? I don't know because they haven't lost. I don't think they've lost any. Well, they've lost Ford, but let's be they honest, have a bit more of a target on their back. But they they brought Pollard in. <laughs> I was about to say. I mean, you know, I know he's knocking on, but he's still quality. I don't think Exeter can have as bad a season as they've had previously. Saracens are going to be there, but you're going to have to be. We're the marker for me is going to be away performances, isn't it? We've got to like it's, it's the same as it. 
we've got to win our home games and we've got to pick up a fair few points on the road. If we can do that, we'll be in the mix. But our away form last year was good. So if we can sustain that, I think we've got to improve a bit at home. The fans are going to have to get behind them at home, which I think they have got the fans this year. They didn't Mm. necessarily have that last year. Yeah, it's really, I, I think for the same reasons Jim's saying, is I really hope we are top four, but the caveat is I kind of don't know what the other teams are going to do this year. It's been a bit yeah. unknown. I think it's going to be a lot tighter in the mid-table. Yeah. I think, um, you know, you look at um, the likes of London Irish, I think they they were improving all of last season, so I think they'll yeah. be stronger. Uh, Sale's a funny one. Um, yeah, Sale is a funny what, one. They've got um, a lot of good players, but you wonder... It's I think injuries, isn't it? Really, yeah. I've, and but and I think they've also got Sanderson's had a year there, and he's I think mm. he's a very good coach. I think Sale will be do quite well. And uh, I think there's a lot of lot of teams like that. Newcastle, you know, they they, they probably a new coaches, though, aren't they? New coaches. That's the yeah. interesting thing about well, Newcastle. I mean, I think we, I think we look at it and you go, well, Bath can't possibly be as bad as they were last season. I mean, real, it, as, although fingers the crossed. Abs, fingers crossed they are, but obviously, I can't see them being that bad again. Um, new coaching setup. That's going to be a massive, massive thing for them. They're going to have actually people who know what they're doing. I mean, that that just helps from a start. Um, so Bath, I wonder, I think they'll improve. I don't think that, that their squad in theory should be a lot better than it is, but there's a lot of ageing players yeah. there. Um, Bristol are a weird one. I think Bristol, I think, are, I think they've hit their peak and I think they're now on a bit of a slump. Then they've got a lot of players who are, um, the, the, again, you look at their age profile, age profile of their squad, it is a lot older. Their problem is all, was always, wasn't it? They had a lot of players who were not paid very well and then contract renewals. So they lost a lot of young players, didn't mm. they? Because they couldn't retain them. I think Quinns or another team will be interesting. Saints were good last year. You think they're going to stay in there? Saints, um, on a, Saints went on a really good... Northampton went on a really good run. I mean, that's what cost us. They, they had their run when we had that yeah. bit of a dip. Um, I think Irish... I certainly, my, my sort of interesting ones will be Irish... I don't think Extra are as good anywhere as good as they used to be. I think Extra. Yeah, I think X and Saracens. And Saracens. Not Saracens no. are just starting to drop down the league, but I don't think they're going to drop down out of the top four. No, my top no. four. I think are going to stay out of the top yeah. four. So I'd say Leicester, although they've got a, a target on their back, they are a very strong side. They're winners. They're confident. You'd expect them to stay there or thereabouts. So I'd say Leicester would be top four. I think Saracens would probably be top four. I would then you look at the other teams in around. I think Irish should probably mount a challenge. I think Northampton will mount a challenge. Quinns and then us. They're yeah. the they're, so I think the other two spots I would say be those us those four. I I, I think Sale I think Sale could be there or thereabouts injuries aside. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's like Jim said that mid table is going to be very yeah, congested. Wasps. What's, what's going to happen with Wasps? And we haven't mentioned Worcester. I mean, well, Worcester, Worcester are going to Worcester will be bomb. I mean, I, really? I, I, yeah, Worcester will be bomb. I, I can't, I can't see Worcester not finishing bottom. I'd be amazed. I mean, let's be honest. If they finish the season, I think that's a win for them. Uh, Worcester will be bottom. I think Wasp probably won't be far off bottom. They've lost some very key players in terms of uh, if Fekatoa has gone, hasn't he? And and there's other players that have, have, have gone. I I I don't think they'll be there. I think Sale. There's a lot of talent there, but you look at the players that are around, like 
two. I saw someone talk about the axis of four Tuolangi and um, Kirk, Kirk, Ruffy Kirk. But Ford is out till October, November. Tuolangi is basically walking glass. And Kirk, hopefully, from an England point of view, will now get a bit of a run now that Fafta Clerk's buggered off to Japan. But you're, if you're relying on a very young scrum half who hasn't really played a huge amount of rugby in the last year because of injury and being behind Fafta Clerk, um, I wonder how good they're going to be. Sale also, they've lost other big players in the pack. Um, yeah, it's I, it's always the beginning of the season. You always think more positively than probably you should do. Um, but I think realistically, Gloucester, at minimum, let's be honest, minimum Champions Cup, that's now yeah, I think a, that's, that's a minimum, minimum standard and expectation for every season for Gloucester. I would say that the difference from last year, though, is we had a pretty poor start last season. Um, and I think that's really what cost us. And you look at the, because you talk about Quinns and Bristol at the end of the season, but it, we were, we were to a point playing catch up. Um, and those, those games, yes, very frustrating. We should have come away with wins on both of those occasions. We didn't. Um, but I felt that the fact that beginning of the season, I think we lost three of our first five or six. And we should have been Irish when we were Should have been Irish away. You know, there's the, but we were playing pretty poor stuff at the beginning of the season. It was only really from January onwards we actually started to look yeah. quite attractive. And, and I think that's when we all bought into it, wasn't it? Mm. And I think the, the danger this year for me is you can't afford to lose quite a, a couple of games on the banks. So yeah. I think for us, what will define our season is... Us, some point you're going to lose a game disappointingly or you're going to it's what we do after that it's, it's how well the side banks is back because i what, think well like new zealand at the weekend oh yes <laughs> yeah i mean let's they let's be honest right, let's, I'm not, let's not quite compare us to new zealand yet jim Let, i think we've right. all said about managing expectations i think that's the thing for me it's going to be a congested league and i think we're seeing that with the salary cap now there's a lot of balance there's not there's no team really stands out does it there's no one we've clearly gone oh they're going to walk here we're even like hedging our bets on Leicester yeah Leicester um, and Sarri still stand out but you look at the squad we, and there's weaknesses there that there weren't yeah, weren't maybe a year two years ago I'll, I'll be honest I don't worry about us going to any ground away at the moment and thinking it's an absolute write-off I mean to be honest the Wasp game has got Gloucester loss written all over it <laughs> For all the reasons, you know, it, me being cynical, typical Gloucester fan, it's a game yeah. you're now thinking, wow, we should win this easy, so we probably won't. Oh, but yeah. but se- seriously, I think it's it's about, you've got to pick up points about it. It's like around you, and we, we just cannot afford to drop any points at home, I think, and then just hope we get a sniff away quite often. The one thing I think that now, with the rolling mall being such a powerful weapon, and it's so destructive, is that you would go to I go to watch Gloucester now and I'm not cons- I'm now expecting at least a bonus point from tries because we're going we'll we're going to we'll score two those. tries yeah. we're going to score two tries from rolling malls and you'd expect maybe you know you're going to get you're going to have maybe a breakaway you're going to put away another chance a, a team's going to do something stupid for an intercept you would expect at least a minimum of two or three tries a, ma- a game from that rolling mall now, that means you've only got to find one other try um, in addition to chipping away with penalties, pro- probably that's one area I'd say this season we need to be a bit more clever on is that when opportunities 
arrive where we can just take points. Yeah, keep keep the scoreboard keep ticking the scoreboard over. Ticking yeah, over. And, and I think the main thing for me at about away is it's away from home and where we were better is is it feels like we've got a leader and we've got a bit of a, an edge and a nastiness and a pack. I think we can make games away from home difficult for other teams to win. It's not like we've all seen it with Gloucester where they've, we've seen the try be scored early against one God, here we go. I don't ever think I'm going to be that like that with us mm-hmm. away from home. What we've got to cut out that we still had in us last year was stupid penalties away from home. We've less not giving sides those easy nine point leads. Yeah. Because yeah. we did that quite often, didn't we? Even with the more, we'd go and score and then we put ourselves back in the game. But it always felt like some of the games I was watching, like we gave them that lead we shouldn't have been fighting our way back into it we should have been out of sight already so i think that that's what will make our season really is our discipline discipline and and i think the other thing is i you look at the squad and the balance now in the squad the one thing that is i mean it was even on friday night the back row and the options in the back row and second row are ridiculous we have got so many options that if any player it gets burnt out next season. Something has gone badly wrong I with mean, our uh, with our um, uh, our uh, our fitness and conditioning. I um, mean, the case in point is number eight, isn't it? Where it did at times feel like we were leaning on Ackerman a hell of a lot. You think this year? Yeah. This year? Oh, he might not even have to play. Oh, Pledger is coming off. Who are you bringing on? Oh, Tuisua. Oh, oh, there's a drop in quality, isn't there? And yeah, I mean, and yeah. uh, I, I would I would even say now when you look at the youngsters sort of coming in around the squad, you look at um, the the Georgian uh, now who's starting to he had a bit of run of games towards the end of the season if someone drops out of the centre you don't feel necessarily there's that weakness Tom Seabrook is now kind of more established in that position there are players that you think well probably the only position I still have a concern about above anyone else is fullback because I think I, I although I, I I very much think that Lloyd Evans is a good fullback Carreras is our best fullback and then if you take Carreras out of it You've got Lloyd Evans, but if if Lloyd Evans is injured, it's it's a bit shaky. Then that's it's, my only concern. It's the one where we do lack a bit of depth, and I, I'd still say, especially with the loss of Slater, second row still could be. Yeah, it's like, that's an interesting one, second row because, again because because of the flexibility of the back row and the way that that we. Uh, when we haven't got Alamano, I agree. When Alamano is not playing, yeah, I think he, 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 he is exactly, that. yeah, he's who I was alluding to. With, with Slater gone, there's that drop, isn't there, of out and out second row quality. Leaders. Yeah, second yeah, row. And leader, the, yeah. yeah, and the leaders, you know, Luds is a great captain, but it's that who backs him up, mm. you know, because he, he did, a, he was amazing at not getting injured last year, but you worry where's the backup when he, if he did pick up a knock or miss a game or so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I think, yeah, we, I, it does feel, I think the main thing is, like Jim said, I, I feel like we are a lot stronger a squad than we were last year. I feel mm. like we've recruited well. Well, the ironic thing is we recruited well by re-signing players rather than signing new players, which feels very different for but, Gloucester. And, and, yeah, and I think that's massive as well, is there's not players you're worried about, oh, where, where are they going this year? What's the, the contracts have been tied up and sorted out very well, haven't they? There's no yeah. one... There are players who the rumours will start, I'm sure, who'll be going at the end of the year, but there's no one you're like absolutely petrified or, you know, 
hopefully the silly season's a bit more sensible. The, the players that you expect to go at the end of the season, you're expecting them to go because they're coming towards the end of their careers yeah, rather exactly. than a player leaving early because, yeah, you know, we're playing crap and we're not getting into playoffs. Yeah. Um, right, just a quick one for finish on then. So, Jim, I'll come to you first. Prediction for Sunday, Wasps at home. Uh, what's your prediction? Uh, I think that will be a 5-0 win Gloucester points mm-hmm. that is points yeah uh, we'll just do points we won't try and do scores because that gets complicated yeah <laughs> yeah I think I think I think a five nil probably about mm-hmm. um twelve point victory something like that Russ same I you know all joking aside I, I can't see wasps having the firepower to compete for the reasons you said Ed, we're going to score cut the tries off Moors and then mm-hmm. I think if we can open up a lead then we can cut loose a bit yeah uh, I'm going to go five one I still think um wasps have got a bit of they did it last season. Wasps have got that ability just to score a couple of quick fire tries at the end. We do tend to switch off if we get a bit of a lead. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me if they ended up scoring four tries, but it'll be something like 32 20 or something like 32 24, something like that. But um, yeah, I, I think maybe 5 1. Um, the uh, and then for the season, you're will, you know, you don't have I'm gonna not say you'd have to stand by it, we can always do this next week as well, but. Your sort of general prediction for where we're going to finish this season it could be just say top six, top four, third. Win it third, okay. Russ? I was going to I was going to say third or fourth, fifth, so, but I think yeah. we are required on a few things going our way. Third, mm-hmm. third, and lose the final. Okay, I'm going to go second. I think we'll get a home semi final. I don't. I'm not going to predict any more than that. I think home semi final, uh, and then we'll see. Um, yeah. well, I'll be happy. I'll be happy with that. Oh, yeah, it'd be fun, wouldn't it? Um, uh, and then just a little one, a little, one other final thing, and then on um, uh, our predictions. Um, so we've got Bordeaux and Leinster in our Champions Cup group, um, which is nice. Uh, I'm going to Bordeaux. Um, what do you think? Do you think we're going to be able to get enough points to get into the sort of knockouts? I'm, I'm, I think we might get a win at home to Bordeaux. We might pick up a couple of losing bonus points. I think the key is going to be, you know, away, etc. But I think the key is that that Leinster home game is going to be pretty epic. I think. Um, I, I get the feeling. I, th- I mean, generally, if you get a win, you're there or thereabouts to getting into the the, the last sixteen. Um, and then if you can get like a couple of bonus points, that normally does a nut does a trick. The, the game, the game that could be the most important for for Gloucester is the two Bordeaux Leinster games. Yes, to see if, if one of them gets because a five zero or something like if that. If it's a four nil, four nil, you know, mm. um, then that's great. If it's a five two and a five two, then um yes. Yeah, I think we're helped teams. by having Bordeaux at home first. Yeah, yeah. It feels like that is about I say this very tongue in cheek, that feels the easiest fixture we have in terms of you you we've got to win that. Yeah, if you win that game, that sets you up massively, doesn't it? Because you then you can yeah. then kind of tailor it, can't you? Because you then go you go away to Leinster and you say, okay, if we can get a if we can stay in the game and we can get a bonus point, or I mean, we, I don't think we're going to win in Leinster. No, honest, I think if you, you can, I think you get a bonus, a losing point. bonus point, or even a try bonus point. Then that pretty much would be enough to get through to the if, last sixteen based if, on previous seasons. I mean, if you. I think it's going to go one or two ways. If we beat Bordeaux and we get something from that Leinster game, that Leinster game at home is going to be probably one of the biggest games we've had 
in mm. terms of atmosphere and expectation and I'll be selling my art, gnawing my arm off to get a ticket for that. It would be absolutely massive. If we lose to Bordeaux, I think we bin the competition. I, I don't think they'll go for it, really. I think that's a fair assumption. And I know it's, it's frustrating to see uh, if you're yeah. travelling ab- abroad, but I, I get that. I think you've got to be sensible about We haven't got a big enough things. squad. We haven't yeah, got a big exactly squad. That. It's, it, it, you, it's, you know. And I'm yeah. kind of glad it works out like that. That We kind of know by the first two weekends if we've got a realistic chance of qualifying or not. And yeah, if, it, if we sat there with one point. Yeah, yeah, it's really depressing to look at a competition like that because I mean, I'm excited to be back in Europe. But if you can't get out of the group, then save your players, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, it'd be interesting to see with the Premiership Cup as well this year. I think we probably took it a bit too seriously to start with, hence the ridiculous bath result at the beginning. But that's because of the weird structure of the season. Um, I, again, it'd be interesting to see because we have got, it, although we haven't got a massive squad, we've got a lot of players that don't get enough, wow. a lot of rugby, and we're going to have to play these games anyway. So you, you kind of think, well, let's see how we are at the end of three games. You and go say from there. that, Ed, and I fought long and hard about this. And I said last year, didn't I? how much I think you have to be respectful to that competition and play it at the right level. But we're supposed to play Worcester first. And I, oh, think, yeah. we go fu- I think we go fully loaded. Mm. Um, I'd, I'd even play Jake Pledry on the wing and Tui Sur on the other wing against whoever they can pay £10.50 to get them out. <laughs> yeah, no, in all seriousness, I think you go... You, you just we're with the competitions we're in now you you blood your young lads for the reasons we were saying the way rugby's going yeah the salary cap you've got to start seeing what's coming through the academy and we've got some potentially exciting players give them an opportunity but because obviously we've also got that bye week fairly early on as well haven't we so we've got a we've got that instant like really really weird <sighs> rest period so the we fixed got... list is screwed oh, yeah. we, haven't, us we over. haven't talked about that have we the bye no. week at the beginning of the season arse the bye week at Christmas, meaning we don't have a Christmas home yeah, game. I know, <laughs> I know that it's is not right. I mean, it costs an app. That's a in all the biggest issue is the money making of that because a home fixture over Christmas or around New Year's is usually a guaranteed sellout for Costa, yeah. yeah, and it's a big loss. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, if you were clever and had any sort of marketing now, so you would have gone, who's touring, sort of around then. Um, but I, I don't think I think the way that the fixtures work, we, it's too close to Christmas. There's no one touring, so we wouldn't be like we wouldn't be. Yeah, that it's a shame. I, I missed I missed those kind of ones where we played Japan and the like. That would have yeah. been a, a good way to well, make it. Yeah. You know, the, the, of course, beginning of next year, and it's not very far away. But we've got. I think we'll start hearing more about the 150th anniversary and all the rest of it. That will be coming up relatively soon. So you never know. We might have some interesting stuff to follow with that. But we'll see. Um, right. I think that's enough for today. That's a long podcast. Bless us. Uh, I've got a lot of editing to do. Um, and um, we will resume uh, next week. We probably won't record next Sunday because it will be a bit tight in terms of time frames and and after the game. Uh, but we will do it maybe Monday, Tuesday. So you'll, you'll basically, from now on, the idea is to be recording on a Sunday or Monday, getting these out every Wednesday um, and getting a bit more of a routine because I do know that we did struggle a little bit towards sort of the end of last season with various stuff going on. So, um, yeah, anyway, thanks very much, guys. Appreciate it. Good to be back. And Appreciate we will you. chat again uh, next week. <laughs>